Hi, friends. This is Dick Flax, one of your hosts for Inside Ala Vista. And as typically often a pleasure I have of um, partnering here with Jonathan Abood, who is the manager of the Community Service District among his other roles in this world of Isla Vista and beyond. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So uh, I think our minds inevitably begin to think about the coming fall quarter and the return of people to campus, to classes. Uh, that's still several weeks away, but uh, I think there's things that we need to, we can talk about. You know, you see a uh, big story in the LA Times today about the return of, or the, what the, the new fall enrollments will look like, record-breaking in-state California enrollments, um, an amazing diversity of the campuses, uh, in fact, a declining proportion of, of white students, uh, even though California residents are increasing. So, uh, but I know like at UCSB, the article points out that the admissions process here was very closely uh, controlled because they didn't want to this year have kind of over-enrollment uh, chaos that happened a year ago. Uh, so they under-enrolled deliberately and tried to kind of um, titrate, you might say, uh, from the waiting lists, uh, numbers of people who would then be added. I'm very happy about that because my granddaughter was on that waiting list and she's now going to enter UCSB. So she's one of the masses of people having to face uh, the fall quarter, uh, but she did get she did get a dormitory um, promise, and that's very good news. So, so what's in particular? Begin. Let's begin with with the IV Community Service District and your concerns about uh, about this this issue of return and housing and related related issues. I think right. Right. Um, we are. It is an issue we are focusing on the. You know, the move-in season after the move-out season just ended, we are looking to do a lot this year to help educate and welcome residents who are moving into Isla Vista. We're going to be having things like a services fair and tours planned and flyers delivered to houses. So it's something we want to, you know, make sure that there's a kind of Vista orientation in a way. Uh, as people come in, we're helping get them up to speed on how the community operates. You want to, you want the re the new people to really be aware of what's what what life in IV has to has to offer and what services are there, rather than have them figure this out by word of mouth and all the rest of that. that exactly, right. exactly. And we've prepared a lot of different services um, that are important to people now over time and. Uh, so we have that list of things like wellness services, emergency issues, waste disposal, transportation, public safety, you know, different categories of services. And yeah, that's something we hear a lot from people is they just don't know what there is, to, what is offered and what they could access. And so getting to them as early as possible, we're going we're gonna to be also reaching out to the students uh, living on campus too because we recognize they'll be living in Isla Vista pretty soon and if we can get ahead on getting them educated 
then uh, we're making our lives easier in two years or in one year because they'll come in with some knowledge. So uh, that's that's our job. We have to continually educate the community. That's, you know, some other local governments might not have this challenge or this opportunity, right. but we're uh, every year have to get out there and get in front of people and let them know what's offered. And, they, and it's our services and beyond. So we do promote, um, we try to educate people about, you know, everything that goes on in the community, as well as the things we directly provide. So, and there are things you might be particularly worried about, like perennial issues, like uh, safety and parking. You know, what what have you been talking about in that in that domain? Those domains. yeah. So, like for parking, for example, like one thing we noticed last year at the beginning of the year is um, a lot of people were parking in red and yellow zones, which is you know for emergency and commercial vehicles. Or they were parking blocking driveways. Um, of other people and so that's that's kind of the kind of information we're going to use now to help people know how to be good neighbors and to not block those kinds of you know zones so that's one example on parking um, with public safety you know there's a lot uh, one one thing we're going to do one issue on public safety we're going to focus on is cliffs and the and the bluffs and safety around those and uh, going to residents directly on Del Playa and who on the ocean side and speaking with them about being good hosts and, you know, not having their guests and their residents sit or go on the other side of the fence um, that could lead to a, to a fall. And that's had, you know, there's been too many injuries and deaths because of that. So that's one public safety issue that, um, you know, there was unfortunately a cliff fall last year that results in a death and um uh-huh. that's you know we want to just get ahead of that and get people from the beginning to you know be empowered and we're, we're looking to do it in a way where we give them the information and you know explain yeah you know, these the cliffs erode at one inch per year about or more than that and um here's what's happened and here's why there's a fence here and so uh we're good. so that that kind of public safety is important uh, for us because you know that that's could be avoided. Yeah, yeah. So, so those yeah are- yeah. So you, you you but are there are there concerns about policing in in, in Vista at this point? I mean, some you alluded to that in our conversation. Yeah, I mean there, there were. There isn't, um, there isn't a, like, I guess what I'd say is one thing that the police are looking to do this fall differently is uh, provide more education instead of citations on things like open containers. So if, you know, people will be approached with a flyer um, about the public safety issues and resources by a police officer, instead of getting a citation it'll it'll, they say it'll be about the same size as one um but people will be getting that instead of a citation at first just to give them education so that we think that's a positive step this was presented about in our board meeting yesterday but we think that's a positive step um yeah sounds like it move in because that's a lot of people not getting a citation uh who otherwise would um and the law enforcement is also has now expanded their restorative justice program to cover almost every 
uh, offense that would happen in huh. so those people would be diverted to a civics class instead of uh you know getting the the misdemeanor or whatever it is so that's something that used to be for you know a, a smaller list of like five issues now covers almost everything including minor possession so well, that sounds pretty fascinating. Does that kind of change come from internally from the from the uh, police forces? Yeah, it's from the police force and the district attorney. Uh huh. Together on that, so yeah. So it's only taken half a century for for that kind of atmosphere to really take hold. But it, that sounds good, very good to me. As a, you know, at least as a direction. It's a um, great. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, I think minds have to remember back a year ago about the chaos, as I mentioned at the beginning, having to do with uh, lack of housing availability and over, you know, people being forced to live in conditions that are really unacceptable uh, in in their cars or in in hotels circumstances. Uh, and so that makes us focus as I, I, I personally have been for a number of years on in trying to make sure that UCSB provides, uh, is able to provide the housing for students and for faculty and staff that um, they've promised to do uh, and they haven't been able to do yet. And, and there's just, there's a couple of things that have been happening that I think you and I can kick around uh, some conversation about because the UCSB is uh, on the road, hopefully, to, to beginning this project called Ocean Road. Um, uh, do you have a capsule description of what that is? That's like a test question for you. Yeah, well, Ocean Road, it's going to be a project on Ocean Road in between Manzanita Village and Isla Vista, and it, it'll go all the way up to almost El Colegio. And the number of units, I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but there's a split between rental and to own. So there's townhouses and apartments that'll be there. Oh, 180 townhouses, 360 apartments. So, That's when the total project is completed. And right two phases right so the first but yeah there's a, a slight preponderance of, of rental units but then home ownership units as well yes yeah. so the first half is about half of 540 and, and uh yeah go on so you got a presentation about this the, the csd board right yeah we got that a couple weeks ago and um they're looking they're, what they told us is that they're looking to start construction potentially in 2023 so if all the approvals go right right and that's that's one of the always one of the issues but uh this is a project i know a lot about this because as i alluded to before i'm um I'm involved with what's called the Sun Coalition, Sustainable University. Now, we have been monitoring UCSB's long-range development and the ways in which the growth of the campus is mitigated by things that UC, UCSB can do, and housing is a, is a big aspect of that. And this Ocean Road was begun to be talked about, I think, even before... Uh, the long-range development plan we now have 
uh, was was uh, begun. Uh, but for some reason, it's taken many, many years. So that's like 15 years almost of discussion and planning and efforts to get it done. Uh, and about three years ago, they uh, they tried to um, bring it to, to a head, so to speak, by opening the search for a private developer to partner with the UCSB campus administration on the development of this. And so the reason it's now in progress really is because they have a developer. Do you remember the name of the developer? I think it's- Graystar. Graystar, yeah. Which, what's your understanding of what that is? I mean, what how I understand it is that they're gonna take on a lot of the factors of the project from design and construction to also the financing and leasing and renting of the units. So it's a little bit different than other campus yeah. efforts like the North Campus Housing or the West Campus Faculty Housing or any of the student housing. Exactly, they, 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 they will be managing, not only building this, financing and building it, but they will manage it. And that's a profit-seeking, you know, national corporation. So yet the aim in terms of housing availability, the goal of this project is to have below market housing, affordable housing for faculty and staff, not just faculty, but staff. And I make a footnote to that. I don't know if this came up in your briefing, but the staff, I would imagine that among the first staff offered a chance to live there would be, let's call them first responder type people who are essential for the campus in the event of, you know, the, the almost predictable catastrophes that can happen. Many of these people, whether they're fire or police or other kinds of people who are necessary, uh, they, they commute uh, 20, 30 or more miles to get to the campus. And of course, in a catastrophe, that is really dangerous. Uh, so about uh, commuting, they might, you know, there's not really good access in a catastrophe to this region from north or south. Um, so the affordability question is really important. And I don't know, did, did you get a sense of that, that aspect of this in your briefing? Um, it was mentioned. I mean, I think what was said was it it was going, you know, it's going to be closer to market than, you know, capital A affordable housing. But it was not going to be, I guess, the, it wasn't going to be profit seeking like the price of the, and it's not going to be valued like private mar market housing would be valued, but the price will be closer to that than you know, capital A affordable is how it was said. I forgot the exact quote, but I, there wasn't a, a, you know, a statement that, yeah, this is not going to be cheap housing, but it's not going to be very expensive either. Yeah, well, that's a little too vague for my taste. Because, right, yeah. um, <laughs> because what, what I've seen them say, uh, for example, is that the ownership units would be available below 10% below the market. Well, the market is so inflated right now that 10% below may not really work for 
the kind of junior faculty you know, who are not well paid relative to more senior faculty uh, right. being able to afford to live there. There's already a problem on campus with junior faculty being able to use even the subsidies that UC does offer for home ownership because the market is so inflated here. And the same thing with rents. Um, I was hoping to see that they would promise to peg the rents to the salaries of those who are going to live there. And, and, you know, the national standard is that you shouldn't have to pay more than a third of your income for rent. So if you have, let's say, fire personnel or, you know, the kind of people, uh, job categories I'm talking about, you know, they're not going to be uh, super well paid typically. Um, so one third of their salary would be, would be the affordable rent for, for them. That's not capital A, it's not low income rent. It's what, what the standard is for affordability for anybody. And if you're well to do one third of your income, and if you're middle-class, one third of your income is the definition of affordability by publicly established standards. Well, I don't think they've committed themselves to that. Uh, that is the UC, UCSB. And I'm not sure, did you get any clarity on how they would make the affordability on either ownership or rental happen? Um, somehow the campus will subsidize those who are moving into this project to take to, in other words, the developer will get the bottom line that that developer wants but the campus will subsidize the rents in order to make that happen. Well, maybe that'll all work, but I think we need to scrutinize this, um, keep keep the keep monitoring up to make sure this this happens. Because with the private developer really in charge on a day to day basis, uh, they could, in effect. I'll use the word blackmail. It's not really fail, but they could. They have a lot of leverage over what those rents and what those housing costs are going to be because they could say, "Well, we're not. We have to. We have to pencil out." Typical developer's term: pencil out uh, our return on this project. Uh, the Sun Coalition that I uh, that I'm chair of uh, sent a letter to the regents supporting the Ocean Road project, but raising these very questions I'm raising here. Um, and the chair of the regents, Rich Lieb, is a UCSB alumnus. So he was gratifyingly very interested in these questions of affordability. And the regents approved the project, but he, Rich Lieb told me that the affordability issue is 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 crucial in the final uh, you know, outcome of that approval. In other words, they're going to keep, they say, he says he can keep scrutinizing that issue. Um, and, I, you know, just as a personal bias, I'm not happy with this private partnership, public-private partnership way of doing this uh, because of the problem of Housing inflation is a national problem that is now extremely serious uh, everywhere, you know, a lot of places, but especially in places like this. And private development, people are calling it the financialization of housing. 
uh, is is one of the factors in that. Anyway, that's my little speech. I don't know if you have further insight from the briefing you got. Uh, no, uh, I don't think I have anything else from the. We didn't go as uh, into the details on the affordability and aspects and how it all worked during the meeting. So, yeah, it didn't come up. It, it was mentioned, but didn't come up uh, in detail. Right. Well, anyway, I'm using this platform as, as every platform I can get to to alert people to this as something you know for for uh, keeping tabs on, and I'm also of the belief that the state legislature, which you're interested in, it, I know, should take responsibility for helping the the higher education with these housing issues, and I know there's been. Uh, the governor's budget includes now something unprecedented, a billion dollar per year revolving fund to support higher housing and higher education, which includes you know what we're talking about, not only student housing, but faculty staff housing, includes community colleges are part of the one of the institutional frameworks that can apply for support from that fund. Well, that's a big breakthrough because that would alleviate the pressure to get private developers like Graystar or private benefactors like Munger to do the housing financing that is now desperately needed. That's, that's my thought for today on that question. Got any comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the fund is a great thing that obviously shouldn't shouldn't have happened a long time ago, but it's good it's happening now. And maybe the next step is, like you just said, um, maybe there should be a UC, you know, group that helps do this development. Maybe it could be centralized um, instead of per campus because it might be too expensive to do it per campus. But basically, like a UC in-house agency. But Exactly. exactly. So my my understanding is Irvine is the one campus that really has that. They were able to develop with that a nonprofit corporation connected to the campus that is their developer. It's a very different. They've been able to build hundreds of faculty and staff housing at Irvine. I didn't know any of this until recently. So, and, and why? Why? Yeah. Go ahead. We do have like a community housing authority at UCSB and that's where we, who we got the presentation from, but right. yeah, I think it's as, as extensive and maybe pooling resources would be better than just one off ones. All right. Something else for us to work on. Yeah. So um, I think you, uh, you, you want to say something about cleanup uh, matters that you're concerned with. We've got a couple of minutes left that you can mention. Oh Yeah. I just wanted to announce we did make a new hire of a permanent employee with IVCSD, and we're going to have some job openings coming up soon uh, for worker for more worker positions. Um, for anybody who wants to help clean up the community, whether that's removing the shoes off the electric wires, <laughs> up trash, overgrown weeds, helping report lights that are broken or out, street lights. Kind of taking care of the community, keeping an eye on things. The Isle of Vista Beautiful program is being restarted. Uh, it used to be on a contract with a nonprofit, and they ended that, so we moved it in-house. So we're going to hire and run the program ourselves now. 
and we're going to be having job postings soon and we just increased our wages um so the jobs will be 17 an hour uh instead of 15 and so we'll be announcing that uh, in the next week or so well you heard it here first then that's very good well anyway so this has been uh interesting because i got a chance to talk as well as you uh self-servingly saying that so thanks jonathan uh for all the good work you are doing and caring for this community uh thanks for joining me here this is dick flax with the inside isla vista thanks for listening folks thank you